massive momentum changer in the history of the Essendon Football Club. Well done, Bombers. That's a great victory for your club. This wasn't supposed to happen, Jared. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Hello and welcome to the round three edition of the Big Footy Bombers podcast. I am the man with no name, aka the warrior, and as ever I'm joined by my good friend Bonter34. How are you today, sir? Mate, I'm still recovering from the last 10 minutes, so it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been a, um, for our regular listeners, as you know, we usually have a, um, a third co-host, our, our good friend Doss. Uh, he was away last week, he claims visiting his mother, but we all suspect he's under the thumb of his new, uh, his new fiancé. We don't suspect, we know he's under the thumb. We know, well, we know, we, we do know these things. Um, so we were delighted to welcome him back this week, but um, technical difficulties have, for some reason... Uh, precluded him from joining us this week. He sounded more um, Dalek-like than DOS-like, unfortunately. Um, and this was after me attempting to record the podcast the first time and referring to it as round four, uh, at which point we had to abandon the recording. So, listeners, it's been a, um, a tricky start to the to the Big Footy Bombers podcast, but hopefully from here on out it will be smooth sailing, um, especially following such a successful result um, on the weekend with an unexpected 13-point win over Melbourne. So, Bonds, I'll let you kick off. How did you sort of see the game in a general sense? Well, you say unexpected, but I believe I actually tipped us to win on that last is, week's podcast. That is very true. That is very true. So maybe a little bit more uh, praise needs to be heaped on me, but the game itself, I think, was, well, I'd like to say it was good, but it, it, it was probably pretty average. Um, we obviously had flashes of brilliance from quite a few players, which added up to the victory. Uh, I think Melbourne were fairly poor defensive-wise. I think our transition out of out of our defence was, was quite exciting and quite fluid at times, but I think with a little bit more intent and a little bit more strength around around the packs and in their structures, I think Melbourne would have been able to keep it in much tighter than they did. So I think they'll look back and be disappointed, but hey, we won. So let's not worry too much about how poorly the other side played and let's worry about how well we played. I agree completely with you there. I mean, firstly, full credit to you. You did tip us and I did not, so full credit to you there. Um, I think it was in part due to Melbourne potentially taking us lightly, potentially having their head in the clouds after a win the week before. But for whatever reason, they weren't switched on um, as they should have been. And as everybody says in this game, if you're not switched on against an opposition that is, um, you'll be made to pay. So I think we were pretty much playing at the top level we can probably expect uh, from Essendon this year. I think we were playing to the peak of our ability from a lot of players. Um, but yeah, the run from defence, the the constant effort and hardness from multiple players, the willingness to back themselves to use the corridor, um, I thought it was all really fantastic and really exciting to watch. I think, as I said last week though, that our 10 goal loss to the Gold Coast in round one, whilst not great, will actually be looked at pretty fondly by the end of the year. I don't think they're going to be that bad. Everyone keeps talking about them as they were last year, which was, of course, a bottom five side. But I still think the Suns, as they proved by knocking off Fremantle over there, will rise up the ladder this year. So I think maybe our season isn't going to be as poorly as we all thought, or as many thought, I suppose, uh, after that round one loss. Um, while, obviously, Joe Dano was sensational, the one player I want to start 
by talking about is is Mitch Brown because he did play forward on the weekend and I thought you know he played a great second forwards game he kicked two goals he took a few marks he had you know 13 or so touches but he contested repeatedly he brought the ball to the ground he didn't let easy marks happen for the opposition and I think as a second forward he played probably one of the best games that we've had a second forward play for a very long time at the Eston Football Club. I would completely agree. I thought Mitch Brown was a fantastic sort of unexpected surprise in that I didn't expect him to be that competitive um, and that good as a second forward to Joe Danaher. Um, I think the effort he showed and the hard work he put in was very un-Jake Carlisle-like. Um, I think I'm not, not wrong in saying. Uh, in that Carlisle while supremely talented, um, wasn't really, towards the end, putting in the hard yards, putting in a contest, making sure the ball stayed in our forward line as much as it could. Whereas Mitch Brown, despite the difference in talent between himself and Carlisle, um, was probably more effective on the weekend than I did see in large stages from Jake. Um, And, yeah, I was just really, really impressed with his game. The other one that I think has probably slipped under the radar um, a little bit on the weekend was again Matthew Stokes. I again as a top up player we weren't expecting too much but he he had you know 17 touches I think and, and kicked the goal and it's just in the game him and Kelly I think their experience was just invaluable on the weekend. I yeah I agree again. Um, Stokes was really good. Um, his experience, his knowing where the ball was going to be, his his help setting up the forward line, setting up stoppages, those sorts of things. Um, I recall a moment with Kelly where he won a free kick against the Melbourne player that was pure. Um, pure experience, like he just positioned himself right and angled himself right so he got that perfect little nudge in the back that ensured he got a free kick. Um, and those sorts of experience um, moments are what, what are going to really help develop um, the younger kids around them. Um, but yeah, I think Stokes and Kelly so far are turning out to be the pick of the top, pick of the top ups. Yeah, um, and you can't, you can't discount Kelly's um, efforts in that last parish goal, and I think he even actually manned Jack Watts for a little bit, which is a role he certainly would never have played at Geelong. Um, and I think he probably did a great job, although I think Jack would certainly agree that he had a very, a very average game after a solid round one performance. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Jack Watts was very quiet, which went went a long way to helping us, but that was in part due to how well I thought our back line um, worked together. I also want to put in a shout-out to James Gwilt, um, who I thought was just terrific. I mean, not only did he play a large part in shutting down Jesse Hogan, but he racked up 24 touches, 9 marks, um, and three rebound fifties, which from you know from what who is effectively your full back, um, that's a terrific game. Yeah, exactly right. He was very very good, and and quite a few times he found himself sort of one out with, with Hogan, and he was taking the marks that I would have expected Jesse to take. I I said to Doss, who I was sitting with at the game, quite a few times, oh Hogan's going to fly here. He'll take the mark, but you know Quilt just somehow managed to read the ball better, out-positioned him, and I don't think he's stronger than, than, than Jesse by any stretch of the imagination, but he certainly was able to sort of ragdoll him a little bit more than I think uh, Jesse would have been hoping for. Oh, yeah, I, I was I was a bit nervous about Gwilt on Hogan because I thought if they can get Hogan one out, the physical difference could overwhelm 
Quilt. Uh, because for all of his traits, Quilt isn't really suited to going one out with the, with the big gorillas. So I think his experience really showed there in just positioning positioning himself right so the ball fell into his hands rather than Hogan's. Uh, and I think that's where the golf indifference... Um, golf in... The, I think that's where the difference really laid. Um, another player I was impressed with, and I suppose we have to give a bit of a shout-out to, was Adam Cooney. Uh, there were many, many people calling for his head after the game against the Gold Coast. Um, and I think he really lifted very, very well um, on the weekend. Yeah, he was one that I certainly did enjoy watching. I mean, I've said on the board and to anyone that will listen to me that I think Cooney's problem is he, he suffers from expectations that he will be the player he was, which he won't be. And I think if he keeps contributing, you know, 20-touch, one-goal game type stuff or 20-touch, two-goal game type stuff, that's probably a win for us from what we gave up for him. I mean, people go, well, we gave up Ryder. Well, we didn't actually specifically give up Ryder. We gave up pick 37. And pick 37 is not, not necessarily a great pick. It's a bit of a lottery. So if Cooney can turn into a fairly solid, you know, player who can occasionally maybe have 30 touches or maybe occasionally kick three or four goals, then I reckon we've probably broken even in that trade. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, now, sort of looking in sort of a larger sense of the game, what really impressed me was um, it could have been really easy for this team to sort of sit back, flood the flood the forward line for the most part, or flood the opposition forward line, I should say, for the most part of the game, um, and try and you know avoid being blown out of the water, try and clog up the scoring, and maybe snatch a win in a seven to six goal sort of game. What I was very impressed by though was the way the team played was clearly to attack the corridor, um, to back themselves to go through the corridor and hurt the opposition going the other way. Um, we saw it backfire a couple of times as you probably expect like there was one incident with Goddard where he turned the ball over and it cost us a goal Um, whereas normally you'd get angry about that and think why would you do something stupid like that Uh, because I'd seen that that's what we were backing ourselves to do I sort of went okay it didn't come off this time but let's keep doing that because that's what got us into this game. So I think credit has to go to John Worsfold and the players um, for being willing to back themselves to play that way that could easily have seen us um, lose by 10 goals. But instead, because we're willing to put in the work and put in the effort and back ourselves, um, we end up ending up in a win. Yeah, and I think the other thing that sort of goes with that that came out of Saturday's game was when Melbourne seemed to get a roll on and Melbourne seemed to um, start to take control. We never dropped our heads. Um, I think they kicked four unanswered goals during the second quarter at one stage. And we all sort of, in the crowd, thought, well, you know, we showed up the first quarter. We put in a good effort. You know, what more can you ask? And the players out in the field responded. They, you know, they then went, went ahead and kicked, what, three goals back themselves, took the lead back, you know, led it half time. And, and again, even in the last quarter when I think it was Hogan kicked his first goal for the day and, and put Melbourne in front, you had a sense in the stands that, that we, as a supporter group, were probably expecting us to drop off. Um, I did say um, right at the, the start of the last quarter that if we turned with five, five minutes in that last quarter, if we turned behind, it was going to be hard because it would show that Melbourne had the running. Five minutes into that last quarter, Melbourne had the running. They kicked the two goals. They took the lead. And what do you know? We actually went bang, bang and broke the game back open and then resulted with with Parrish putting it beyond 
um, beyond a shadow of a doubt with his goal from 45 out. Yeah, there were a couple of times where I was, was sort of thinking, oh, here we go, the floodgates are about to open. Um, sort of like with the Gold Coast game, where we started off okay, but once the floodgates opened, it was game over, basically. So the fact that we did keep our heads, the fact that we did keep fighting and keep working and wound up coming back, not just once, but we came back multiple times before um, Parrish kicked the winner. Um from the group of players that had ever, would have every right to drop their heads given the circumstances was just really, really impressive. I'm going to ask you now, you t- who, who for you was, your, was best on the ground on the day? Um, it's hard to go past Saharakis again. Um, I just, I've been very, very impressed with his um, his work, his running, his defensive running's back, which is fantastic to see. Um, he didn't manage to snag any goals on the weekend, but I mean, he got two, had two hands in two goals, um, got the ball inside 50, 10 times, seven marks, 34 touches. Um, it's pretty much just a complete game from um, from Zaka. Uh, who would you say was your best on ground? I probably would have had Zach Merritt, just because. You know, he, he kicked a couple of great goals. He he had 32 touches. He laid and he laid plenty of tackles. And I think that was the most pleasing thing for me was his commitment and willingness to just throw himself at blokes. And another one did that also was Parrish, um, who also had eight tackles. And these are probably two of the smallest blokes we have on our list. But they're just throwing themselves at the big blokes, determined to bring them down. Now, as the season goes on and and they start to get a little bit tired, more tired, a little bit more worn out. I dare say that this uh, style of football will certainly have its impact on their abilities and we'll probably see them drop off. But at the moment, it's very exciting to watch these two youngsters um, throw themselves around with reckless abandon as they are. Yeah, I'd expect, as as you said, as the year goes on and the players get more tired, that our game plan will adjust to accommodate that. Like, we probably can't play this running through the middle game style all year, given, given the fitness of some of our players. Um, but my thought is that um, with with us being willing to have a go, you know, at the moment, um, the benefit there is that we are teaching the players how to play an exciting, fast, aggressive brand of football, uh, and I think that could really benefit them in the future. Yeah, um, I mean, I personally, I'm just very happy that our players aren't tired after round two, um, like a certain coach suggested his players were on the weekend. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, and so far, our players don't look to be going that same way. Yeah, I'm still not too sure how a playing group can be tired after two rounds, but um, uh, I'm obviously not an AFL coach. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, now, looking towards maybe the other end of the scale, how would you sort of have rated Nick Comer's game? Uh, you don't want me to talk about Nick Comer, mate, because I tell you right now, my opinions on him aren't very popular. <laughs> yeah, well... That's sort of similar to my opinions of um, of Waller. So, I mean, how about you You have a ch- chat about Nick Comer and I'll have a chat about Waller. Oh, I think you're being very stiff on Waller. I thought he was pretty oh, bloody well, handy on let's just, Saturday. Let's, I'll go first then. So, Waller, <laughs> I'm not saying he was bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I was impressed. I did I did think he was. Uh, he did show a lot of promising signs um, on the weekend. Um, my issues with Waller, uh, his work rate, I think, was poor. Um, I did watch him um, quite, you know, quite regularly throughout the game just to see where he was, what he was doing, and what I saw was a lot of stationary or sort of walking around the same sort of area or jogging very slowly around the same sort of area, and I sort of only really saw him 
run hard, push hard when the ball was either in his vicinity or when he was a chance of getting the ball. I didn't really see him push hard to close down space, to create an option, um, to pick up a loose man. Um, he played off off a half-back flank, but I didn't really see him taking responsibility for anyone. So while I'm certainly not criticising him or saying that he played a bad game, um, I'm just not as settled on the idea that he's going to be a superstar just yet. Uh, he could get there. He could prove me completely wrong, and I certainly hope he does. But I'm maybe just a bit more cautious on Waller than some other people are. I think we might be about to have our big first argument on this podcast because... I'm not too sure what you were watching, but Waller lined up on the wing most of the day. He didn't line up on the halfback flank at all, which is what we were all sort of happy with in the stands because you're right, he, he doesn't really push hard to, to on the defensive side. He doesn't have a defensive bone in his body, in my opinion. So that's why we were all a bit more excited to see him line up on the wings on the, uh, on the weekend. Well, I mean, I, I saw him on the halfback flank. Um, the AFL heat maps, which you're gonna, you're about to call into question of their, um, of their, of their accuracy. Um, that's, would one, appear... that's the very polite way of saying what <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, of your heat maps. Heat yes, maps, but... <laughs> um, seem to back up my point. But I mean, whether it's a wing, whether it's a halfback flank, um, you still sort of these days do need to have a defensive side to your game. Um, no one gets away without with just running around doing what they want. Um, not even the full forward these days. So, um, yeah, again, I'm not saying he was terrible. I'm not saying he was bad by any stretch of the imagination. You know, 20 touches in your second game is is fantastic. So I'm certainly hopeful he can turn out to be a regular AFL player. Um, I'm just maybe not quite as sold as, any, as everybody else just yet. The thing about Waller, though, on the weekend that, that stood out for me was of his eight marks, I'd love to know how many of those intercepts because he seemed to be reading the play quite well. Um, he used his pace a number of times to burn players, which we didn't have anyone else that sort of was able to do that in traffic like he seemed to be able to do. I mean, there was one stage there where he slipped through three blokes. Um, that was beautiful. That which was, was beautiful. beautiful to watch. His disposal was a lot better, I thought. His decision-making disposal was certainly a lot better than the first game. Um, and I think his, probably his best effort for the day was, was late in the game. Jones and there's another Melbourne player, and I couldn't tell you who it is off the top of my head, were stuffing around with the ball in the 50, and it was just the two of them there, and by all means, they all they had to do was pick it up and run in and kick the goal, and he ran from about 15 metres away, dived in, grabbed the ball, got it back out, and actually handballed it. He didn't just sit on the ball and wait for the free kick, which would have been a gain of positive for us, because Melbourne were away, and it at least would have slowed the play down. He actually turned it over for us, and got the ball out, and we were away up the other end. I'm not sure if we scored from it, but I thought it was a fantastic effort, and yeah, I... I don't necessarily agree with much of what you've just said. I, I think his defensive efforts were a lot better, um, but we'll just have to wait and see. I, again, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think he'll ever be a superstar AFL player, but I think he was a lot more promising on the weekend, and I think there's signs there that he can become a good AFL player. Yeah. Again, I, I think there definitely were signs there. So um, he could become a regular AFL player. I'm, again, I'm not just, just not sold yet. But, yeah, does his tides appear to be turning, in my mind at least, that maybe he can get there. Um, so what were your thoughts on uh, young Nick Comer? Uh, well, I just... I don't think Nick Comer has the assets or the attributes to make it as an AFL footballer. Um, I understand his work rate is fantastic. I understand that he is a nice guy, and, and I've actually met Nick Comer. I've had beers with Nick Comer. I think he's a, a, a great bloke. Um, but he doesn't get enough of the ball to be a midfielder. He doesn't kick enough goals to be a small forward. Uh, and despite what 
what Calvin was trying to tell me on the board, Neville Jetta doing the dumbest thing I've ever seen on the football field in the goal square was not Nick Comer sucking him in to give him a free kick. That was just absolute stupidity from Jetta. Um, and so, yeah, okay, he kicked a goal from that, but that was pure luck, not anything re- resembling talent. Um, and, you know, six free kicks against, I think someone said, I haven't looked at the stats for him. Six free kicks against might be right, might be wrong, but, you know, it's just absolute garbage what he dished up on the weekend. Um, it is his first game back, so okay, we'll cut him some slack and hope he comes good. But look, I'd be stunned if um, come round one 2017, Nick Comer was considering our best 22, or how, even if he was considering our best 30. I just don't think he's got anything um, to bring to the table at this stage. Yeah, I'd, I'd struggle to argue much against that. I mean, as you said, it's his first game for about two years, so I'm, I'm willing to give him a chance to get back into it. But even before he got injured, I was never really sold. Um, if he if he proves us wrong, um, then fantastic. But I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to make it, unfortunately. Um, now, because I know you're itching to get to, the, to your heat maps, but we will just hold off on them for one more second <laughs> um, and talk about our 50-game... Our Full forward, twenty-one-year-old veteran, because he's he's considered a veteran now, and I'm not too sure where when that happened, but so be it. Fifteen marks, two goals, four kicked. What two out in the full? So, you know, two goals, four, two out in the full. Hand passed off to Merritt for his first one. Um, your thoughts? I thought he was exactly what we think he's going to be, except for the the, the finishing. I think his marking and his work was exactly what we hope it's going to be. Um, the issue is that his goal kicking wasn't, and when you're when you're a forward, your goal kicking is what you're paid to do, and is very very important. So, I got more and more frustrated as it got worse, especially because it seemed to be the same thing every time. The fact that he seemed to be hooking it in the same way every single time. Um, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Um, so I really think he needs to, he needs to sort that out because, um, especially at the moment, we're not going to get that many chances up forward, most likely. Um, like there's not going to be many games where he's going to take 15 marks this year. So I think he really needs to sort that out. But beyond that, um, his running, his work, his marking was just fantastic. Uh, I didn't like the handball off to, off to Zach Merritt because I think it almost cost us a goal because of the dodgy handball. And I think if you're dead in front, just go back and kick the goal, son. Well, I certainly but, didn't like the. Uh, I just certainly didn't like the handball off either because I had him in the goal kicking comp, and he's 30 meters out directly in front. Instead of going back and getting me half back into the game, he handballs it off. And at that stage, I called for him to go to the bench. Although Bombers for Life sitting next to me. Uh, Quickly pointed out, if he went to the bench, we probably would be in a bit of strife. So, um, you know, that's probably one one there that Bombers had over me on the weekend. Yeah, but yeah, beyond, beyond that, um, he was just he was just fantastic. You know, from a fifty game key forward um, in a side that's going to struggle this year, it was just an outstanding effort. So let's move on to your heat maps. Now, we'll start with Lewenberger's. Um, yeah, because I've pretty I, much I, I, spoken about Wallers. What I was going to say about Wallers, so we don't need, don't need to talk about that one. Um, Lewenberger on the weekend, I wasn't especially impressed by. I thought, and I, I say this keeping in mind that it could be his lack of preseason is affecting his fitness. Um, but I think he got smashed by Max Gorn, and I think oh. he offered us very, very, very little around the ground. Um, in that he didn't, 
offer us anything around the ground really um and the heat map that we had that i posted on the board you're free to have a look at um sort of back that up in that eat all his all his disposals where they're tracked they're all very much in the center of the ground or the center of the wings so he hasn't really got a touch outside the range of the center square which from a ruckman in the modern game is just very very poor so i'm hoping as he gets fitter he can maybe lift his performance but i wasn't very impressed with him on the weekend unfortunately i'm presuming you're saying smashed by gorn in the ruck yes because around the ground he was better than gorn yeah around the ground gorn was gorn didn't do a lot yeah but i'm not sure a lot of that was down to lewenberger um i think that was just down to the day melbourne had you don't think that was because, as as I saw it, he spent a large part of the day chasing Lewenberger's tail? Not especially, um, but I say that I could be wrong. Um, you know, because football, you can't see... Every, you, not everyone can watch everything that's going on, of course. So, um, I think he may have kept Maxi Gorn quiet, but I think Lewenberger needs to offer more himself. Now, I understand your heat maps. Um, well, I think I do. But I don't necessarily think they're accurate. I'm, again, <laughs> Lewenberger, for me, spent a lot of time forward. Again, you're right. He did, probably didn't pluck, he didn't pluck many marks, um, and he possibly should have. But at the same time, he competed. He brought the ball to ground. Uh, I, I honestly thought his game wasn't too bad. And I think you're underestimating just how good Max Gorn is. Max Gorn, in my opinion, by the end of this year, will be considered in the top three to top five ruckman in the league. And Lewenberger broke even with him around the ground. Now, that's a fair old effort. And I'm not too sure what the hit-out stats were. Do you have them handy? I do. So, Matthew Lewenberger had 16. Mm-hmm. And Maxi Gorn had 31. Okay, so not great. But do we have two advantage? Or... <laughs> uh, no, I haven't, haven't got that level of detail, unfortunately. Because I, I'd be surprised if uh, Maxi Gorn's hit-outs to advantage were incredibly high. I think... We broke even in the ruck on the day. I, I thought our centre clearance work, I thought our work around the ground, I thought we actually broke even. So I'm fairly surprised to hear that he had more hit-outs or so many more hit-outs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of your heat maps. I think they are complete garbage. Because... Well, let's let's just clarify. They're not my heat maps. They're well, they the are. Heat, heat maps provided by the AFL website. So let's, yeah. just, let's just get that straight in there. No, no, no. Much like you are, Warrior, they are your heat maps. You've brought them to the table, so we, uh, we assign them to you. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, well. I'm going to rip your heat maps apart because I just think a heat map that shows possession-wise, well, what, what's the good of that? Because I think Lewenberger went down back and actually got in Hogan's way a couple of times. It's Gorn certainly didn't do for Danaher, um, which was a big plus for us. And I don't know. I, I think Lewenberger's game of the weekend wasn't so bad for a bloke in his third game in, what, six, seven, eight months. Yeah. I mean, I will admit when I posted the hitouts, I was under the impression that they were um, obviously accurate um, and tracked their running for the whole game. So when it was pointed out that that might not be the case and I may have been... Um, lied to by the um, AFL website, I will admit to being um, rather miffed. Um, so I'm, will, I'm willing to wear that one if it if it, um, if it it turns out to be incorrect. But yeah, ho- I'm hoping Lewenberger can um, can lift because that would obviously be, be a benefit for everybody. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Another player that I was very impressed with on the weekend, a much maligned player um, at the Eston Football Club, is Patrick Ambrose. Uh, I thought... 
at his job on Jack Watts. Now, I did say Kelly went on to him, but um, that was when Ambrose was thrown into the ruck, which I'm still not sold on, but he did, he competed admir- admirably for me. I think he probably didn't win many hit-outs himself, but I think he nullified um, Melbourne's second ruck, whoever the hell that was. I can't even remember. Cam Pedersen, maybe? Yeah, it would, would have been Pedersen. It would have been Pedersen. So I thought Ambrose's game on the weekend... Uh, was was very solid, and I think for a player that was much maligned and, and was certainly copying a fair bit of criticism last week, I think he rebounded nicely. I'm still not sold he's going to be a good AFL player, but I would certainly think that this week he deserves pats on the back for his effort. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think he did lift um, a great deal between last week and this week. Um, and on a player that is you know, as, as smart and talented as Jack Watts is, I thought Patrick Ambrose was very impressive. Now, Ryan Crowley, we did discuss him last week, and you weren't sure that he'd actually be able to tag anyone. Um, and I agreed with you at the time. I saw him go to Jack Viney a lot on the weekend, and, and I didn't see Jack Viney get a hell of a lot of the ball on the weekend. Um, how did you view Crowley? Did you see him go to anyone? And and do you think that the uh, Crowley signing as a top-up is working thus far? Um, in terms of tagging on the weekend, I didn't see him following anyone around for long periods of the game. So it may have just been at stoppages, um, as opposed to you know following people around all day like he would do with an ablet or a, or a Deledio. Yeah, I, and I'll, um, I'll just butt in there and say it was around stoppages. I, sort of, I didn't really notice him around the ground because obviously I don't follow where the ball isn't, but at stoppages, every time he seemed to line up on, on Jack. Yeah, so that that may have been a, a deliberate tactic, of course. So, um, in terms of as a stoppage, um, he's probably been as about as good as you can expect, um, given he's coming off a limited preseason, of course. So he's just giving us that hard body on the inside. Um, I certainly think he could deliver a lot more, um, whether it's as a tag or whether it's as an inside midfielder. I'm not sure, uh, because I mean we did hear at times that he was going to push forward. Um, for stints of during the game. I don't think we've seen him do that a great deal either. So I think he's doing okay, uh, but not fantastic. I think it's interesting with him because he seems to be very much a a link-up player in that we seem to be hitting him coming out of the back line uh, and he will pass off to a, a, another running player going past. He had eight marks on the weekend. Um, so obviously not a great deal of, of linking up, but... It does just seem to be that he's playing that role, um, and, I, and I think he needs to improve and expand on what we've seen. But yeah, it's he, he's a tough one. Yeah, I think because he was never the um, you know the quick the quick player on the outside or the really sharp with the ball player on the outside, um, he's not going to suddenly become that um, this year, of course. So we have to keep our expectations in check. Um, but yes, I reckon so far he's, he's just doing he's doing okay, he's doing not bad um, but hopefully we can get a bit more out of him Game plan wise, anything that stood out for you? Um, beyond what I've already said about going through the middle um, not, not not a great deal that I noticed um, because I was more trying to, trying to watch the individual players rather than the, um, the game plan as a whole because it was actually the first time I'd seen the, the side play live all year actually so um, I was more trying to get an eye on our, um, on our new guys how about yourself? Not a great deal. I think up the middle was, was a tactic used. I think we didn't panic with the ball. I think we were happy to chip it around, which no doubt probably drove a few people crazy. But, I mean, it's a winning tactic. It worked on the weekend. I don't think it'll work necessarily against your uh, your Geelongs, your Hawthorns, your Sydneys. 
Um, I'm not sure we'll come up with any tactic that'll work against them this year, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, but uh, it would be nice to think we can. Uh, I think we finally saw a bit more kicking to the advantage of the forward. I don't think Danaher had to stop and wait as many times as he has previously. I think he was able to sort of get a bit more of a jump, which did see him take a few more marks over the top of people because once he runs and jumps and gets that reach, there's not many defenders in the AFL that can actually go with him. Um, other than that, I think the play of the game for us on the weekend was was when we when we could. We went fast. We went hard. We we certainly did a, a slingshot tactic, I suppose, at times, similar to what we saw with Matthew Knights. But then, uh, if the option wasn't there, we certainly didn't mind being able to use tempo football, slow it down, kick it around, and find find a way out. Yeah, I think what really impressed me was um, the fact that after Darcy Parrish kicked that goal, um, we didn't sort of panic um, and you know turn the ball over. We were willing to sit back, soak up some time off the clock and just really secure that win. Um, whether that's due to worst fold or whether that's due to you know the experienced heads like Kelly and Stokes out there telling the players, hold it up, hold it up. Um, I'm not sure who, who, who was organising those sorts of things, but whoever did, um, I think that was a really important part in us getting the win. One passage of play that stood out for me on the weekend was Zach Merritt, and there was a time there where we were handballing the ball around. Um, we'd, we'd kicked it out to one side. It was on our back flank, and, and the easy option for him would have been to kick it out wide on the left, go out to the, go out to the side where all the players were, it was going to be congested, but he you know, could have kicked long up the line to a contest and and um, get, a, get a 50-50 ball over the line. Instead, he went against the flow, and he surprised everyone because all the Melbourne players ran to his ran to the, the, the closest boundary side expecting the ball to go that way. He ducked, cut back through the other way, hit Langford with a handball, who hit Goddard, who then kicked it to Zara Rakas, I think, who then ran forward and kicked it to Danaher, who actually kicked one of his goals. It, it's the it's the signs of somebody that has a brilliant football mind in that he just turned to exactly what nobody thought he was going to do, hit the target, and just, we were away. It was just beautiful to watch. Yeah, um, those sorts of things are really exciting, especially because, you know, a young, young bloke like Zach Merritt, um, you can just see that he's just a footballer. Um, he's not an athlete. We're trying to turn into a footballer like some, some of the draftees are these days. Uh, but he's just a footballer, and he, and he knows what to do um, with the ball. Um, so do you have any other thoughts about the game you'd like to share, or shall we turn our attention to the Friday Night Blockbuster? I would just like to also say that I think Jackson Merritt played a good game at times. I still think he was pretty average with his disposal at times. He he still made some pretty basic, simple kicking errors. Uh, if Doss was here, he'd... He'd certainly back me up because we mentioned quite a few times we have to keep these in track for the podcast, <laughs> um, which is probably <laughs> probably a little bit sad that we were watching the football and, and thinking at the same time. And he didn't stick some tackles. He just got pushed out of the way far too easily um, on more than one occasion. And he could probably learn from his brother about how to just clamp on and don't let go. But again, he played much better than he did the week before. He played much better than I think he has previously, apart from that one Carlton game. So, you know, all power to him this week. Yeah, I, I was I was very impressed with Jackson Merritt. I'll agree, I'll agree with you there as well. Um, not so much in that you know he wasn't as good as, as Aharakis or Zach Merritt, but just his improvement I think was very impressive. Um, so this Friday night, uh, the Essendon Football Club travels over to Adelaide Oval to play the Port Adelaide Power, coming off 
a very embarrassing um, loss in the showdown, so they could be seething. Um, and coupled with that, it's also going to be the first time we see our new uh, red class jumper um, in action. Have you seen the jumper bots? I have seen the jumper. Uh, now, Mojo Mojo Raisin actually wore it to our um, our meetup on on Saturday, and I was very impressed with it you know, in the flesh. Okay, so that's um, obviously something to look forward to um, on the weekend. Um, so, how do you sort of think we're going to go this this Friday night against Port Adelaide? I would not be high, holding any high hopes. Um, they certainly struggled on the weekend, but they are a very good football side. I think that Port Adelaide have underperformed. I think they continue to underperform, and I think Friday night against us um, is the perfect chance for them to come back into form. Yeah, I'm expecting them to be quite fired up. Um, losing a showdown is a, is a cardinal sin in Adelaide. Um, there are people now beginning to doubt Ken Hinckley, um, after a disappointing 2015 season, um, to come out and start this season in unspectacular style, um, I think is not endearing him to the Port Adelaide faithful um, to a great extent. Um, so I think they're going to be really, really rolled up to get get some credibility back. Um, coupled with the fact it's a Friday night game and it's actually being broadcast into China, um, through some Chinese TV deal that Port Adelaide have secured. So there's going to be a lot of people watching this game of football um, and it could be a chance for them to you know, smash out a big win and maybe start getting back on the, on, on the horse. Um, or if they manage to lose this one, then I think there's going to be real questions being asked of Ken Hinckley. If we had our full side, um, I'd be pretty confident. Um because we've actually won four out of our last five in Adelaide. And we're actually undefeated Adelaide Oval, for whatever that means to you, which probably doesn't mean a great deal. Um, and we've also beat Port Adelaide four out of the last five times we've played them. So I think historically we do match up fairly well with them in recent years. This year, obviously, we don't as much. But again, who knows? You know, If, if we turn up with the same never-say-die attitude that we turned up with on said day, Things could happen. I mean, I dare say Hartley will go to Schultz if Schultz gets up. I think there was rumours he might be a little bit sore, but I, I dare say he'll play. Um, but I think our big danger is going to be, you know, who goes with Ebert, who goes with Boak, who goes with Wingard, who goes, you know, with Westhoff, who goes with Gray. You know, you, you sort of see where I'm going there. They're a very talented side, and, and I'd be very surprised if they didn't put in a much better showing than they did against Adelaide. Yeah, I think... The first, the first quarter, the first half of the first quarter even could play a big part in deciding this. Um, I think if we go at them hard, if we can snag a couple of goals and go with them, you know, it could maybe give them a bit of a shock, give them a bit of a punch to the face and sort of um, really throw them off their game and, may, and maybe give us a chance at staying in there for the rest of the game. Whereas I think if they're able to jump out to an early lead, um, it could it'll get the crowd on side, it'll get their confidence back, and it could be potentially a very long night for Essendon. But um, I just think those that first period is going to be very very crucial to deciding the outcome of the game. It'd be very nice to see if we can get Koshy to leave in the second quarter again. Yeah, that was pretty disappointing. I mean, if I if I can stay for the whole St Kilda game last year, which we lost by a hundred points, um, surely Koshy can stick around as chairman. Yeah, it sort of proves just uh, how much of a fair weather supporter he is in the face of adversity. See you later, I'm out of here, which is yeah. pretty average. Must have had a TV show to go, TV show to go host. 
The one player I'm probably the most worried about, I suppose, this weekend is going to be Travis Boak. He's only had, he's only averaged 20 touches in the first two rounds, but if you do remember it, Eddie had last year, he had 28 touches, kicked two goals, and was best on by an absolute mile. And I think he will be absolutely primed and ready to go to get himself back into a bit of form this Friday. Yeah, I'm probably more worried about Robbie Gray. Um, just because he is an absolute star of the game. Uh, and I just, even with Ryan Crowley, I just don't see anyone that can go with him. Um, so I think he could do some real damage. So the other thing that starts this weekend uh, for the Essendon Football Club, of course, is the VFL. Now we play Werribee first up this Saturday at 12pm at Windy Hill. Um, any thoughts on, on the VFL that you want to add there, Warrior? Um, I sadly don't watch a great deal of VFL, so I haven't really got a great deal to share. Um, I'm certainly hopeful that um, with more of the younger kids playing in the senior side this year than they probably would do normally, I hope that the VFL side isn't too um, too gutted. Um, but we'll sort of just have to wait and see. I mean, so if you can get along, certainly get along. Um, and how about yourself? Well, I'm actually not going to be there this Saturday because I'll probably be half dead on my walk um, when the kickoff starts but round two I'll definitely be there because we actually play in Bendigo um, on f- next Friday the 15th of April at 7.30 so anyone wants to get along to that similar to the how Dawson and Bombers for Life and I sat up in the stands on, on Saturday at the uh, MCG I'll definitely be there uh, at the QEO on that Friday if anyone wants to catch up I'll just put that out there early uh, I think our win against Richmond on the weekend was pretty good we beat them by 77 points um, it's hard. To, it's hard to sort of tell how we're going to go this year. Um, Aaron Francis was pretty handy across the back line from all reports. Um, Mason Redmond kicked three goals up forward, so that's definitely something to look forward to. I think uh, Mason Redmond might be a sneaky in this week. I'd certainly like to see him in the side for Nick Comer, but uh, we'll wait and see. Nathan Grimer. Played a very good game. Uh, should eventually see him move up into the seniors. Probably needs a couple more weeks. Jake Long sounds like he had a pretty good game. Um, as he's only rookie listed, so it'll be disappointing. Or not disappointing. So sorry, it'll be hard to get him up onto the senior list until at least round eleven, unless something drastic happens. But I think uh, if I read here, Mark Corrigan, assistant coach, said. Been fantastic on the wing. It's like he almost found a new lease on life. And I think we certainly saw that in the NAB Challenge games. I think he was very impressive and certainly um, towards the end showed a bit more than I expected. I think I gave him a bit of a roasting on the podcast earlier. I think I said he was playing largely because of his last name. But I think he's um, probably listened to the podcast, probably heard it and decided to stick it at me. What do you What do you think? Um, well, I didn't see the game so I can't I can't comment a great deal on it um, but you know if, if Jake Long has heard has heard your words and taken inspiration from them um, then you know, I'm, I'm pleased to be part of making a difference to the Essendon Football Club you know Sean McKernan kicked six goals on the weekend in the uh, reserves yeah but did he not injure himself in he, the game yes he unfortunately he has done his ankle um, I'm not too sure how long he is out for we were waiting on scans last time I heard um, the other interesting one was Grimley did kick four, which I thought was a positive sign. Um, it's certainly nice to know that if he can keep his form in the VFL, that maybe we will have uh, somebody that can replace a Mitch Brown or um, a Michael Hartley should they should they go down. 
Um, just looking at our injury list, Jason Ashby, four to six weeks, still with his knee. McKernan's to be confirmed, Polkinghorne's to be confirmed, and Wallace is to be confirmed. But I believe that Wallace is at least three weeks away. Um, you know, the, the VFL game on the weekend against Richmond was definitely better than, than Footscray. The Footscray one, unfortunately, Footscray, they touched us up a little bit, but they are a very strong VFL side, so I'm not too sure how our season's going to pan out. I'm interested to see how uh, Chris Pert works out. He came to us from St. Bernard's, um, and I, he was very impressive there, so I'll be interested to see if he makes the step up. I'll be interested to watch Dan Coglin again. Um, very, many of us think he was very stiff not to get a game on the uh, AFL list this year. Jordan Neagle is there, who is, of course, the son of the late Merv Neagle, um, another father-son prospect. Obviously, now won't be father-son list picked up because he uh, got looked over in the draft, but it'll be interesting to see how he comes on. Dyson Heppel's brother is still running around for us. Aaron Heppel has the same hairstyle. Uh, doesn't have quite the same ability, but again, could be good. And the other one I'm interested in, in looking, up, looking at this year is Sam Heaviside from uh, Strathfield State Storm in Bendigo. He is a very, very good player in our local league. Did certainly play some pretty handy games in the VFL this year, and, and I think with a bit more exposure this year, could be a very important cog in our side during the year through the middle. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot to look forward to um, in in the VFL side. So if you've got the time and you've got and you are able to head along to Windy Hill this weekend, certainly head along, head along give the boys um, a cheer, and hopefully they can get up on the weekend. Anything else that you want to talk about for the Essendon Football Club? Um, I don't think we've had any updates on the uh, thing that we won't name so far, other than um, Heath Hocking has signed up for another two years, was it? Or three years? Yeah, I think he's just signed on. I'm not sure if it's for two years or just for 2.17. But, yeah, some some fantastic news with um, Heath Hocking um, re-signing and committing to coming back to the club next year. So hopefully he's the first of many. Uh, but we'll have to sit back and um, and see. Uh, a bit of news that did get dropped today was the unveiling of our 2016 uh, Anzac Day Guernsey. Um, now, I've had a look, and my immediate reaction was that I wish the sponsor's logo was, was a bit bigger. Um, I'm not sure we're giving Fujitsu their, their right amount of respect on an Anzac Day Guernsey. Um, but beyond that, it's very similar to last year with the Poppy Sash. Um, hasn't got the names on it. Um, but again, they're selling the Guernsey, only giving part of the proceeds to the RSL, which which does grind my gears a bit. Uh, but have you seen the Jumper Mods? What do you think? I'm currently desperately looking on our website for it because I haven't seen it. Now, when you say we give part of the proceeds, is that because we need to give money to our sponsor, or not to our sponsor, to our jumper maker for making the jumper? Or are we taking part of the profit? I read it as we're taking part of the profit. Uh, because, uh, yeah. yeah, like if, if we said we were donating all profits to the RSL, I mean, obviously that would imply that we're giving some of them to Adidas, of course, which, you know, it's, it's just part of costs. But, yeah, similar to um, last year, we're giving part proceeds to the RSL, which doesn't make me feel particularly comfortable. So I have reached out to the club on Twitter and asked them what exactly part proceeds means. Um, they've said they'll get back to me, um, although they did say the same thing last year and they did fail to do so. So hopefully we'll get an answer. Um, and hopefully we are giving all profits to the RSL because I really don't like the idea of profiting off something like this. But that's a, um, a watch this space. 
part profit is the thing. Oh, now, oh, yes, I see the load jumper now. It's oh, much the same as last year. Yeah, you're right, Fujitsu's logo is a little bit ridiculous in the size. 130 bucks. I certainly hope it means that that doesn't mean part profit means we're only giving 10 bucks to the RSL. Yeah, certainly. Because, I mean, that that's that's more than a normal Guernsey. Um, I can't see these costing Adidas any more to, um, to manufacture. So Especially since we have the uh, Anzac... Uh, for want of a better word, the Anzac speech um, written. Yeah, the, we have the we have we have less we forget. We have the Ode of Remembrance, I think it's called on the inside. I was trying uh, to think of the name, and I think you've just nailed it. That's all right. Uh, we have the Anzac logo on the front, and then we've got the huge, enormous Fujitsu logo as well. So um, it's pretty much like that car Homer Simpson designed, in that it's got every single possible thing you can think of crammed in there. Um, but I mean, it looks it looks fine enough. I wish this, I wish the sponsors logo was a bit smaller. Um, but beyond that, it's it's a perfectly harmless sort of jumper. Well, I think that probably sums up the uh, week for the Eastern Football Club. So, do we have? I'll I'll get a tip off you first. What's your tip for uh, Friday night? Well, I'll go tipping us again by uh, seven points. All right, I'm, I'll, I'll maintain my streak of um, tipping, tipping Port Adelaide and hoping I get proven wrong. Um, once again no worries so that does conclude uh, this this podcast thank you once again for joining me Warrior no worries thank you very much and thank you to everybody for listening once again if you do want to be on the podcast we're always looking for more people to come on people with more reliable uh, internet and that aren't quite under the thumb as DOS uh, so if you do want to be come on by all means just send us a message um, I may be dead after this weekend because I am doing my 100k walk, so Orion may need a friend next week. Time.